let's let's talk about production quality. So production quality, good enough production quality, is it's basically it's two things. It is the audio and the visual quality that people are going to interact with when they consume your content. So if you're watching this now, it is the way that we present ourselves on video, and it's the way that we sound on the microphone. And for those things, we're going to talk about four areas. We're going to talk about your mic, your lights, your camera, and your backdrop. But I think more importantly, and we'll get into those in a second, is why we care about production quality in the first place. Welcome to PBP.fm, brought to you by Pushbutton Podcasts, your go-to resource for grabbing attention, building awareness, and creating authority in your marketplace. I'm Richard Matthews, your host and guide through the wonderful world of podcasting as a driver of business. Here, we teach how to use a multimedia podcast as the cornerstone of your omnipresent content marketing strategy. Whether you're an entrepreneur, podcaster, expert, or thought leader, you'll discover creative ways to leverage your digital content. From blogs to video, from YouTube to TikTok, and everything in between. I'll show you how to stand out from the noise so you can directly connect with potential customers, build strategic partnerships, and drive leads into your business. Get ready for actionable tips and tangible takeaways on improving your digital presence across the board. With that, let's dive into this week's episode of pbp.fm. Hello and welcome to the episode number one of the pvp.fm podcast. My name is Richard Matthews and I'm here with Lucas Root. Lucas, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. Glad to have you here. This is the second episode. If you listen to our first one, that was a welcome to the podcast where we talk about what we're going to be, you know, what we're doing this podcast for and who it's for. This is our first series and it is called the 10 commandments of podcasting. So you ready to get into this? The Ten Commandments of Podcasting. So, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt... Wait, no, no. Podcast, no, you can lie in podcasting, right? Absolutely, you could lie all you want. Probably won't help your credibility <laughs> much, but you can do... If you want to lie, you can lie. So, before I actually tell you what the Ten Commandments are, I want to talk a little bit about the reason why we're doing a Ten Commandments section, because it's actually really sort of this is a meta sort of like thing for podcasting is one of the reasons you build a podcast like this one or the podcast you might build for your business is you want to create a type of strategic influence in your space, right? You want to become a thought leader. And part of being a thought leader is having like authority in the space. And one of the interesting things about authority is almost always self-claimed, right? And so we claim authority for ourselves. And one of the ways that you do that is by creating rules, Right? That's one way. There's another way. Naming things and claiming things is all sort of part of authority. And authority is almost always self-claimed. So the reason we do a Ten Commandments of the area we're interested in is because it gives us that self-claimed authority in our space. Does that make sense? So it's like food. Who owns the food that you're eating right now? So you're holding an apple. You're eating that apple. Who owns that apple? Me? Exactly. You answered right. perfectly, right? <laughs> I, I answered it with a question crunch. mark over my head. Me? <laughs> yep. As you take a bite, it's me, right? Crunch. It's the ownership of that apple that you're eating right now is available for claiming just like thought leadership and is owned by the person who chooses to take ownership, to claim the ownership of that apple. Exactly. So what we're doing by saying, hey, these are the 10 commandments of podcasting is we're building for ourselves a thought leadership in this category. And what's we're interesting claiming. is that yeah, we're going to claim or reclaim it. And what's interesting is it's a persuasive tactic. And the best thing about persuasion is persuasion works whether or not the person who is receiving the persuasion is aware of it. So we're going to go through these 10 commandments of podcasting. 
And just by virtue of us doing that, even if you know that our purpose is to build thought leadership in this category, it's still going to work and you're going to look at us with authority in that space, which is a really fascinating thing to know and to understand. And one of the reasons why I think podcasting in particular is a really leveraged way to help build thought leadership in any space. Wow. You're showing people under the curtain right from the start. Right. That's the whole goal. So let's get into this then. The 10 commandments of podcasting are, let's see, commandment number one is thou shalt have good production quality, good enough production quality. The good enough, I think, is important. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then I'll give you the other nine commandments. We'll get into those over the rest of the series. But number two is thou shalt be consistent. Number three is thou shalt remove the psychological barriers to recording. Number four is thou shalt drive to an action. Number five is thou shalt buy, borrow, and build an audience. Number six is thou shalt gain awareness, attention, and authority. Number seven is thou shalt use multimedia. Number eight is thou shalt create derivative content. Derivative is one of my favorite words. It's from the financial space. I'm sure you're very familiar with your background in, uh, in finances. I am. I am. Um, we can play with that one. <laughs> yeah. And number nine is thou shalt publish, announce, and promote. And number 10, it's probably my favorite, thou shalt give good interview. <laughs> thou shalt give good interview. You gotta learn to give a good interview if you want to get into podcasting, or at least if you're going to do interview shows like this one. So let's get into this first one. Thou shalt have well, good enough even if production like, quality. Even if it's a solo episode, isn't aren't you still interviewing? I mean, you're interviewing yourself. Yeah. yeah so that's, that's actually a really good point. And one of the ways that we'll get into this when we talk about content structures in the second commandment is a lot of what you're doing with building a consistent content structure is just taking the information that you want to cover, presenting it as questions that you can ask yourself and then answer them. So in essence, when you're doing a solo episode, you're answering your own questions. So it's still a, hmm. at a very base level, it's still a type of interview. Then, yep, always thou shalt give good interview. Thou shalt good give. Wow. I'm going to trip good over my give. own tongue this morning. Yes. <laughs> thou shalt give good interview. So I don't let's think get into you wrong. Uh, good give works. Good give. Yeah. Because you got to do a good job at giving your content. So, you know, right, it works exactly. both ways. <laughs> So let's talk about production quality. So production quality, good enough production quality is it's basically it's two things. It is the audio and the visual quality that people are going to interact with uh, when they consume your content. So if you're watching this now, it is the way that we present ourselves on video and it's the way that we sound on the microphone. And for those things, we're going to talk about four areas. We're going to talk about your mic, your lights, your camera and your backdrop. But I think more importantly, and we'll get into those in a second, is why we care about production quality in the first place. What are your thoughts just off the top of your head, Lucas? Well, the consumer of your product has certain expectations. I've actually come up with a framework, and now's as good a time as any to introduce it to you even, Richard, about when people are claiming their authority in a thought leader space. There seems to be three things, three pieces to that, right? And from a consumer perspective, that's what matters is when somebody has claimed their authority, it doesn't really matter that they've claimed it. You also have to agree that they have claimed it, right? So there's an interaction there. Like I am the authority and everybody's like, yeah, whatever, shut up. We don't care. Then you're the authority of nothing. But if you say I am the authority and everybody's like, yeah, you are. So that agreement is important. To me, this framework, the way that I look at it is, the first is that you have to be on a stage of some sort. So you have to get up on a stage and you have to project your message. Number one. Number two, you need to demonstrate excellence. Now, here's what's interesting is it, it seems to me on the consumer side, it seems to me like it's actually more or less irrelevant whether or not the excellence that you demonstrate is in your field. 
You don't actually have to demonstrate excellence in the field that you're claiming authority. You just have to demonstrate excellence. And examples of this, and the reason why I'm saying it this way, a good example of this is sports players. I see sports players out there talking about all sorts of things that are well outside of their field and nobody questions it because they've been on a big stage and they've demonstrated excellence. And all of a sudden people are like, yeah, that, whatever he's saying about that thing, trust that. Yeah. Same thing Um, happens with celebrities. They demonstrated acting excellence and then we listen to their thoughts on politics happens all the time. (laughs) That's exactly it. So you have to be on a big stage. You have to demonstrate excellence. And then, pardon my language, don't fuck it up. And if you have those three things, then your audience will continue to allow you to have the authority that you claimed, stated with intent. And so having good enough production quality is don't fuck it up. Yeah, it's definitely a form of don't fuck it up. But I think it also falls a little bit in the demonstrating excellence, right? There's like a baseline level of, requirements that people are before they'll give you their attention Mm -hmm. because there's a couple of things i'll get into on this but there's two reasons i like to talk about this before i get into them i want to just play off of one of the things you said is that there has to be an agreement one of my Mm. favorite authors is orson scott card he writes the uh ender's game series if you're familiar with that and he's got a thing at the end of his books where he talks about how stories work and he says authors only ever write half of a story And so like when you pick up a book, you've got half of the story in your hand and the other half of the story is put together when you read it in your head, right? And it's a unique story for every person who reads it because the pictures and the imagery and everything is unique to the person who's reading it. So it's a unique experience every time. And it's, I I like that sort of as a, a parallel to what you're saying is that what you're creating when you're trying to claim that authority is you can only go halfway. The other half is going to be the acceptance of that authority from your audience. And so how do we leverage the skills that we have to make that agreement a foregone conclusion, so to speak, right? Where people are going to just accept that, yes, this guy has authority in this space. Make it work in our favor, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So my two reasons why I think you should have good enough production quality is the first one is something that I call unconscious trust signals. And we can talk about how this plays in what we just talked about, but unconscious trust signals are the signals that you're sending out to your marketplace, whether you mean to or not, that your audience is going to pick up whether they intend to or not, right? And that is um, whether or not you're even aware of it on either side. And unconscious trust signals are basically, just put it in a real concrete example, if you are say a local plumber, right? And you do really good plumbing work and you show up on YouTube talking about plumbing with your plumbing video and your video is crappy and your audio is crappy and the lighting is crappy and everything about the production quality is crappy. The assumption made by the person watching it is going to be that maybe if they are crappy here, everything else they do is crappy. Even if it's not true, it's going to drop those sort of unconscious trust signals that maybe this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, Hmm. right? Because production quality has that type of an impact. Now, you go the other direction and you go all the way up to like Hollywood level and full production studio and multiple cameramen and angles and lights and professional stuff. Now you're no longer relatable and you miss out on the connection that a lot of people are building this type of content for in the first place. So there's a happy medium that I call the good enough production quality where 
you want to demonstrate that you, you don't want people to look at your production quality and notice it, either good or bad. It should just be well, invisible. Let's pretend for a second that being no longer relatable is irrelevant. Let's pretend that's not an issue, but let's pretend, and I agree with you, I agree that it is an issue, but let's pretend for a second that it's not an issue, it's not a problem, nobody's ever going to have that challenge. Is there any benefit, I mean meaningful benefit, will you pick up audience faster, will people like you more if you have that high level and being relatable is not an issue? I think the answer is no. no. And the reason I think the answer is no is because you want people to follow you for your content. Yeah. And not for your production quality, your production skills. Yeah. Right. And I was like, there are creators who build content for the production quality and not necessarily for fun. the content because it's fun and they can grow big audiences that way. And you're probably familiar with people who did some of these things. Like if we did some name dropping sessions and, you know, brought up people like Mr. Beast or I'm going to, probably butcher a bunch of these, so I won't do it. But there's a bunch of people that like their thing is their production quality and they build huge audiences out of that. The reality is that they're not building, they're not looking for creating strategic influence in a tight space, right? Like, so we're looking at creating strategic influence in podcasting for business professionals, right? Like the audience that we're talking to. So we're not looking to just gather any audience. We're looking to gather a specific audience who's interested in the content that we're talking about. And so if we're gathering audience from our production quality abilities, we're not gathering the right audience. So I think part of the issue is knowing who your audience is and realizing that you don't want your production quality to turn your audience off, right? So if they notice it because it's bad, that's not going to help. And if they're paying attention to you because your production quality is good, that also isn't going to help. What you want is you want that medium where they don't see your production quality because it's irrelevant, right? It's not going to be like, oh man, look at their amazing camera team. <laughs> that's not what we're going for. We want them to be like, man, look at they have incredible authority in this space and I want to hear more about what they're doing. And that's the first sort of thing. I call it again, the unconscious trust signals. Cool. Yeah, I get so it. That's so be good enough. Don't be too good. Yeah. Be good enough to not fuck it up. Don't be too good to not fuck it up. <laughs> to not fuck it up. Right. And I think that does a number for us as creators, as people who want to create the authority in our space is that we don't have you have a bar, but it's not super high, right? You don't have to learn a bunch of skills and learn a bunch of things that are unnecessary, unrelated to your area of expertise, but you have to learn a like little bit. Right? How to manage multiple camera angles. Yeah. Or how to manage a production house on the back end, all those kind of things. There's a lot that goes into being a professional videographer and a professional video production team, right? It's like we run one at Push Button Podcast. So, I mean, like there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but you don't have to have all you're, those skills to what, be a- What you're saying is you're speaking from authority. Yeah, we're speaking from authority on this space. It's a lot of effort. And you don't have to have all of that, but you want to know the basics so you can show up and show up well enough that your audience doesn't get turned off about from your production stuff, from your production quality. So you want to have good enough production quality. That's the first commandment. So then the question is, how do you do that? How do you actually have good enough production quality? And we mentioned these four things, but it's your mic, your lights, your camera, and your backdrop. So we'll cover those fairly briefly. And how you can do this. I have a, a, a little system I call a mini studio. I was like, what, you should have a mini studio for wherever it is that you want to record. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, generally, 
we're busy people, right? Entrepreneurs mm. tend to have lots of things going. And I know one of the things that, you know, I've talked about a few times, Lucas, is we like to say yes a lot. <laughs> you should say you really say do. yes so many times that sometimes you have to apologize. Backtrack uh, your yeses. <laughs> backtrack your yeses. And that is the life of the entrepreneur. So the other sort of aspect to the unconscious trust signals, the other reason is if you have, you want your studio to be something that encourages you to take action and not discourages mm. you from taking action. So if we're talking about every time you want to record, you have to set up an entire production studio with multiple cameras and bring in team and bring in staff and set up lights and backdrops and the whole thing. And like, it's a whole production that is going to, it's going to be a very difficult thing for you to do on a regular basis. It would be what I call a psychological barrier to action. Um, and we want your studio to be an encouragement to action, that it's simple, it's easy, if possible, as permanent as it could be, so that you don't have to set it up or tear it down every time. That you can just be like, I've got an idea, I want to record, I want to talk about this topic that's important to my audience right now, that you can just do it. That there's, And you know that you're going to look good, you're going to sound good, and it's going to be easy to record. Because if you have all those things taken care of, those are the encouragements to action. And we're going to talk about this in the number two commandment is consistency is really important. And if you can make it easy to, then it allows you to do that. And part of that is having a mini studio ready to go. Yeah. So I know an influencer who I follow and respect who does all of his recording inside an unfinished basement, sitting on a stool. And from time to time, and he does actually use multiple camera angles, but from time to time, he actually uses a camera angle that shows that he's sitting in an unfinished basement on a stool and you can see it. Yeah. But one of the things that he does, and it's not pretty. I mean, I look at his stuff from time, like I like what his content is. I follow him. I listen to him. He uses high quality equipment and it goes right exactly to your point is ignoring the backdrop. He uses a good camera so that you can see his face clearly and it doesn't frame out in between frames. He uses a good quality mic. He uses really high quality lights to make sure that when you're in his content, when you're in his story, right? And that's the whole point is we want to drag you into the story. When you're in his story, you don't get distracted by other things. But there he is in an unfinished basement sitting on a stool. Like it is probably the easiest thing in the entire world for him to leave his studio set up. Yeah, just super easy. Barely an inconvenience for yeah. those of you who follow Ryan George on YouTube. So the four things, this makes your mini studio super easy if you can get it set up and set up well. And the cool thing about it is you can expand on any of these things. Like if you wanted to have multiple cameras, you can in the future. But the basics are a microphone, a couple of lights, possibly three lights, depending on how fancy you are. We'll talk about that in a minute a good quality camera, and your backdrop. So I'm going to start off with the microphone. I've got a, two recommendations for your microphone. And it's very difficult on a piece of content that's supposed to be evergreen to give you a list of like, use this equipment because equipment changes all the time. So I'm going to give you some like principles along these things and give you a link to go and check out our latest recommendations on equipment. So the link, by the way, which will just be through this entire episode is pbp.fm forward slash studio will take you to our list of currently recommended gear. But that's nice and rememberable. To... Yeah, nice and rememberable. studio. Yeah. And we've got a whole training there that's going to go over all four of these things, like in depth. It's already written and everything. It's beautiful. But what we want to talk about is like, from a principal standpoint, you want to have a high quality microphone. Generally speaking, the microphone that is going to be built in to either your phone or to your laptop is going to be functional, but it's not going to be super high quality. And a lot of times it has to do with the size of the microphone. The actual size of the microphones that are in there are very tiny. 
And so they have to be amplified quite a bit to pick up your sound. And what that means is they pick up everything, like everything in the room will come in. So you'll get very messy audio from them. And when you step up to a higher quality microphone, you're going to get a bit bigger of a microphone, like I don't know what you call it, the element, here's your sound. And the more <laughs> high quality microphones are going to have an area that they listen to sound in. And they have names, which is sort of irrelevant to most people, but like cardioid is the shape of the sound where it'll listen. And that's like most of your USB studio microphones are going to be a cardioid microphone. <laughs> and that means they're going to just listen to the sound that's in front of them. And they'll do better, like the closer they are to your face. And so like I have one here, most of your USB microphones will work really well. One so here. yeah, there's Lucas's. Mine is attached to a little stand thing up here, but it's a little microphone. And they plug in via USB, and then you can use them on any of your recording apps, right? So super now, easy to plug in. Either one of us has that really cool thing, like a boom that comes out to our face, and then like the screen that sits right in front of the microphone. So you talk into the screen, not the mic. How come yeah, neither yeah, A, cool. how come neither one of us has that? And B, why do people use that? So a couple of reasons. One, the best sound you'll get is going to be when you can get the microphone right near your, what is it, your larynx? I'm going to forget the name. I'm not a biologist. Whatever this part mm -hmm. is called. Yes. <laughs> you are, Just say uh, under your chin. Under your chin, right? This is where yeah. you're going to get the best sound is right in here because you'll you're, it'll pick up all the sound from your voice without getting the uh, plosives from your mouth. The plosives are when you say P's and S's and other things like that, get sound to come out and you'll get all the bass notes. The microphone will pick up the bass notes really well. And so you'll have a deeper sounding voice, a more full and rich sound if you get it nice and close to your mic to here. Now, that's one of those things that like, if you have the space for it and you have the setup to have a place, a way to get a microphone arm and everything in there, great, do that. It's not going to be detrimental in any way, but it's also one of those things that's probably over. I mean, it looks cool. It looks cool, but it looks nice on there. But my first rule is that it should be easy to set up and use. And in my case, I'm in the back bedroom of an RV. I've recorded 250 podcast episodes back here. I have my microphone here. I can actually connect my camera here. I have my microphone attached to a permanent little attachment thing on my desk. And this is the thing that's holding my camera. I'll show you the camera here in a minute when we get around to it. But it's permanently attached. I don't have to do anything to it. And I've got the microphone gain, which is the preamplification of my voice set so that it'll pick me up at this. It's about eight inches from my face that it'll pick up and sound good. And I never have to move it. I never have to turn it on. I never have to do anything. I just set my laptop on my desk, plug in the one thing that connects all of my gizmos to it, and it's ready to record. And I think the ease of recording is more important than getting that extra level of sound quality from getting a microphone that's right in front of your face. If you have the space mm. for it and you can work it out, go for it. The reason the screen is on front of it, that's called a pop filter. And it's for all those plosive sounds that we make with P's and B's and T's and any of those things that the sound pops out of your mouth with. If you don't have the microphone below your chin, which a lot of audio people actually do this wrong and they put it in front of their face. I'm being invaded by toddlers while we're talking. They put it right in front of their mouth and then the mouth and then the microphone will pick up on all the uh, the plosive sounds. It'll sound like a little explosion. It'll, uh, essentially, it messes up the audio in that, that area. So those pop screens actually keep you from doing that. So you don't have to be as concerned as much about the microphone placement. But mo moving mm. it under your chin will actually get you a better quality sound without having to worry so much about the, the pop filter. Um, huh. So that's my first recommendation is a good USB microphone that has a nice gain control on it. The gain control is the little dial that you'll see on the side of a microphone that you can raise it or lower it. And mine, I have probably about 90% because it's as far away from my face as it is. And it sounds pretty good. So that's the first thing. The other recommendation that I have is to get a lavalier mic. And a lavalier mic are the little ones that have a little wire and they run from the thing and you attach them to your shirt. You've probably seen them on interviews a lot. 
Yeah. And you can attach a little lavalier mic. And that has the benefit of a couple of things. One, it's actually sitting right in that ideal spot where it's going to pick up all the vibrations from your chest and from your throat and everything because of where it's sitting. So you'll get those bass notes. Detriment being that now you're attached via wire to your, which is can be a little more difficult to do. And then you also have a wire attached to them. Generally, you have to remember to bring it. It's harder to have a permanent setup with them. I have one. I do like it. I just tend to not use it as much because it's harder than the one that I've got permanently set up on my desk. And again, because my psychological barrier for action. action. Yeah. Because it's one of those things that I have to pull it out of the drawer and I have to unwrap the cord and I have to plug it in. I mean, I know it sounds like a lot of extra effort to unwrap the cord, plug it in, attach to my shirt, but it's enough that I don't use it. Right? (laughs) That I don't use it. It really is. We're laughing at ourselves, but it really is a lot of extra effort. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of extra effort. And despite the fact that I do actually enjoy the sound quality better, from the lavalier microphone, I tend to not use as much because it takes a couple of extra steps to set up. Well, Uh, now, the important question is, does your audience enjoy the sound quality better? I don't think the audience notices. I don't think they They do either. They don't notice, right? And that's where I'm talking about good enough production quality, right? Like in an ideal world, you have one of those $5,000 microphones that's on the boom and it's sitting right under your chest and you've got an audio engineer on the left who's like managing your levels and all that kind of stuff. We don't live in a perfect world. And also that's one of those things that like, you just have to get good enough. You want it to be a good enough quality that people aren't going, oh, this hurts to listen to. That's all we're going for. We're not going for the best production quality you can get. And so getting a good microphone that plugs into your computer via USB and that you can leave permanently attached to your desk or wherever your recording station is makes your life super easy. So we got a couple of recommendations on the link for you on microphones. The one that I'm using is called an Apogee Hype Mic. I believe you're using a, a Shure Studio Mic. Most of them will work. The Blue Yeti mic is really popular. It's less about which microphone you use and more about which one's going to make it easier for you to set up and record on a regular basis. And excites you. If one excites you, go with that. Yeah. It's like for, for uh, I, like I got a friend of mine, he wanted the big fat microphone because he liked the way that it looked, right? And he was going to set it up on the boom and put it in his face because he wants to have that look and it excited him for that. I'm the opposite, right? I travel. So I want mine to be small. And so I'm using a ha- an Apogee Hype mic, which is like, it's like a quarter the size of the Blue Yeti microphone. And it costs like twice as much. And I was like, so from a quality standpoint, it's probably an overkill microphone, but I really wanted the smallness so, so I could leave it permanently mounted to my little ceiling mount thing. So that was important to me. And so all we're saying is like the one that makes you think, yeah, I'm going to use this. I'm going to set it up in my studio and it's going to be easy to use and that kind of thing. That's the one to go for. That's the one. That's the one. Are you ready to amplify your influence and stand out from the noise? Join Richard Matthews on pbp.fm as he explores the power of podcasting, social media, and strategic content to boost your reach. You'll discover the latest trends in video, audio, and influencer marketing, plus unlock insider tips to create binge-worthy content spotlighting you as a leader. With upbeat energy and clear, empowering advice, Richard guides publishers, experts, and entrepreneurs on starting a podcast, improving social strategy, and connecting with your perfect audience. Visit pbp.fm and book a podcast strategy session to start spreading your message today. Tell me about lights. So lights are my favorite because you can change so much about the quality of your picture by just setting up a couple of good lights. So 
lighting is one of those subjects that like you can go and get a four-year degree in lighting and that's like a normal thing like people have degrees in lighting so this is one mm -hmm. of those that you can go a long ways down the rabbit hole in lighting so what we're going to talk about is a really specific focus on what type of lighting for the types of videos that thought leaders are going to create for the most part you're going to be creating what we call the head and shoulders shot that's where you know you're cut off right at the midpoint between your shoulder and your elbow from a framing standpoint, that's actually a useful thing to know. You want to cut people at their bicep and not at their shoulder or their elbow to look nice. So, that's so my camera is set up wrong. You are a little bit low. Mine's probably a little bit low too. You probably want it to be closer to like that for a framing standpoint. But this is called a head and shoulders shot. And your head and shoulders shot is going to be very typical for the type of content that we're creating for interview style videos or for your solo content. You might sometimes do like a three quarter shot. Like I assume the guy that you, you were talking about filming on his bar stool probably has it cut off right around his midsection or his waist. Possibly yeah. he's got a full body shot if he's got multiple camera angles. And those are all pretty standard composition things. But for the most part, 80% of your content or more is going to be a head and shoulders thing. So when it comes to lighting, how do you light that well? And the term that I want you to walk away with is this thing called three-point lighting. Now, three-point lighting is super easy. And it's also something that there are literally thousands of videos on YouTube that you can just type in three-point lighting and they'll show you how to do it. So I'm not going to go over it in like super in-depth, but we'll give you the basics of it. So the three-point lighting is that you have three lights. The third one is unnecessary. Optional. Let's call it optional. Unnecessary is not the right word. It's optional. It'll make it look better if you have it. So the first light, is what is called your key light. And so your key light is going to be off to one side. So if you look at your camera here, you're going to have a light up and over to the right or to the left. doesn't matter which direction. That's going to be Mine, at... Mine's to the right. Yeah, mine's to the right as well. Like when I help people set up their studios, I tend to put it off to the right, probably because I'm right-hand dominant and it's just the thing that I do. But you have a key light that if we're talking about light in terms of like how bright they are, you'd have say that, that one would be at like 100% power. And the reason you want it up and off to the side is you want the light to hit your face and create shadows. So you can see like on your nose, Lucas, or probably on mine, you can see the shadows that are created from this light. So it's a key light and it creates a bit of shadow on one side of your face. That gives your face dimension. And because we're in now, a 2D space. I have two lights, not three. And so the shadow is much more pronounced in mine. Yeah. And so I can show you how to, how to adjust those two things as well. But so you have your key light. That's the light that provides the light for the scene and gives you the depth in your face. And the depth in your face is actually really important. If you put the lights directly in front of you, so like if this is the camera lens here and you put the light like right behind it, it's going to shine onto your face and it's going to flatten everything out. You won't have any shadows. And when you flatten out the face, you take away some of the human connectedness that we have over video. And so you want to help people. I don't know what you would call this. You're probably better at understanding this stuff than I am because of what you teach in community. The face is really important, right? And everything that comes into it, you want to basically give the other person who's watching your content all of the benefits they can of seeing your face and seeing your facial expressions and all that. And that's going to come with being able to see your eyes and see your nose and see your lips and everything. So you want to have the shadows that create that depth that they would have in real life if you weren't you know, separated by a video camera. We're actually kind of cool. I'm not going to go super down this road. We're a very cool animal. We recognize face faster than we recognize any other image. Interesting. So yeah, it's, that's what we're looking at trying to help that. Facial recognition happens in a different place of your brain than image recognition, and it happens much faster. Yeah, and it's super powerful. And when you hear people talking about the subconscious communication, I don't know if that's the right word. A lot of that comes with 
like the facial structures understanding that. And all we're trying to do with lighting is help people see your face better. So that's the first one, your key light. And then you have what's called your fill light. Your fill light goes up and off to the left of your light. And so if this one, if we're talking again, power on your light, if this one's at 100%, your fill light's going to be at 50%. And the only purpose of the fill light is to take the darkness in the shadows. And instead of them being black, because there's no light shining on them, that you just lighten them up a little bit so they can just see the rest of the structure of your face. Those are the two key, Which, the two key as lights. As you can see, that's the one that I'm missing. Yeah. So you have... I use a Zach light instead of a fill light. A what light? I said I use a Zach light instead of a fill light. I don't know what a Zach light is. <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> so Bad joke. Sorry. <laughs> I, I totally missed it. But yeah, so your fill light... And there's two different ways you can get that power, right? So if you have a light that's got an adjustable power on it, you can just set one to 100 or maybe it's 80. If you set it to 80 on your key light, you'll set your fill light to 40, right? The other way is if you have lights that don't have that kind of uh, dimmability is you can have distance. So if you have more studio space, you can get lights that don't have dimmability and you can put one light three feet from your face, put the other light six feet from your face. It'll have the same impact, right? Or five feet from your face and 10 feet from your face, same impact where you'll have less light hitting you because this is super technical stuff, but lumens, your light capability is a measure of power over distance. So essentially all you're doing is you're reducing the power by moving it further away. And so that's how you would set up your key lights. I'm in a small studio. I don't have the space to do that. So I spent the extra money to get the dimmable lights. So I have one that's all the way on and one that's about halfway on my left. So the most important parts of the three-point lighting is the first two. The one on the right side of your face, the one on the left side of your face, and then just making sure that one is a little bit more powerful than the other. Now, the other part about that is the placement. And so I mentioned you don't want to put them right in front of the camera, like here, because it flattens out your face. So you want to move them off to the sides. And then you also want to move them up a little bit. Again, because that's going to give you the the cross-sectional shadows, like moving diagonally across your face gives you that three dimensions. The other thing that it does, if you're like myself, and I believe you as well, if you wear glasses, I'm wearing my contacts today, but if you wear glasses and you have the lights shining directly in your lenses, right? So if the light is here, it'll bounce off of the lens and go right back into the camera. Your eyes will disappear from the glare. Cool. And so uh, there you go. You have to move because the light's up there. <laughs> Yeah. So if you put your if you I'm... put your lights in the wrong spot, the glare will block out your eyeballs, and you want people to be able to see your eyeballs. So you but move the uh, as lights you can up. see now with the light there, and me not contorting myself to hide my eyes. You can't see the light. You can't see the light, and that's what you want. You want the lens to be clear. And so what I would do is I'll put my glasses on, and then I'll move the lights high enough up until that angle is getting the light to not hit the camera lens. So you want it to bounce off your glasses and then bounce down and not straight into the camera lens. So that's what the up is it's for. It's almost like it would be worth borrowing a pair of glasses just for setting up lights, just for that purpose anyway. Yeah, it absolutely works. You can If you have a pair of like light sunglasses that you can still see through your eyeballs through, because I know a lot of people have sunglasses, and that's useful to help move the light off, because it'll help you get good light position. Right, because you want them to be just high enough up, because that's going to give you the diagonal sort of shadow as well, and it's going to help you get them up and off to the side, so you're not getting the glare on them. So that's a benefit of that. If you're super restricted on studio, or you're not in control of the lights because you're on an interview setting somewhere else, my glasses hack for people is if you take your the little part that sits on your ears and you lift them up about a centimeter, so they're sitting like right here on the side of your skull. Nobody will notice, and it'll take the lenses and it'll tilt them down just enough to get the glare out of your eyes. Because again, anytime we're trying to go for authority, they need to be able to see your eyeballs. So mm. that's my glasses hat trick for you. So that's your two things is your fill light and your key light and your fill light are the most important ones. The third one is called your rim light. 
and rim meaning like it shines on the back of your head and it actually creates a rim. And I don't actually have mine on right now. I can turn it on. It doesn't make a huge bit of difference. But the purpose of a rim light is to create what's called background separation. And so you put a light, so you would generally put it on the same side as your fill light. So you want it to be opposing your key light. So if you have your fill light over here, you'd put your key light over here, you'd put your rim light over here and up behind you. And you basically just point it at the back of your head. And what it's going to do is it's going to light up the back of your head. And it's going to give you that sort of like the back of your hair will glow kind of thing, look like an angel. But really the purpose of it is it separates you from the background for whatever your background is. And that the background separation is one of those things that will professional giveaway, so to speak. Like people who are professional videographers and professional photographers will notice things like background separation. So most of your audience won't notice the background separation, but it's one of those things that they see it. <laughs> they're going to be like, oh, this guy's got good quality. And they may not be able to note they, it or say they like it why. More. Yeah, they'll like it more, even if they can't tell you why they like it more. It's because of background separation, right? Professional will be able to tell you why. Your average person won't, but if you showed them two scenes, one with the rim lighting and one without, they're going to always pick the one with the rim lighting because it looks better, right? So rim lighting, again, just the third light goes up there. It's optional. It's not going to put you over the edge, but it's one of those things that's simple enough that if you can get a nice rim light and you can set it up, it'll uh, make you look good. You can also play with that. There's, you know, like you can put it behind you and shine it up and get you the background separation there. Looks a little different. You can play with that kind of lighting. You'll see a lot of people on YouTube talk about how they do their rim lighting. You can also now, do things like... What we have here isn't quite rim lighting, but it is very much background separation. Yeah, it's close. It's doing the same job. And as I say, you can, you, rim lighting is very specifically shining it on your head, but really our goal is it's that background separation. And you can do that by lighting your backdrop. You can do it by lighting the back of your head. Rim lighting is just a real simple, easy way to do that. And you just put a light shining on the back of your head. Yours is actually lighting up the background. It's a very similar kind of thing. I've done that before with this backdrop. So that's the basics of it is three-point lighting. Now, there's a couple of other considerations for your three-point lighting. One of them is your light color. So that's what they call light temperature. And you'll see the, like your light bulbs are measured in some, some sort of a Kelvin rating from like 3000 to 5000. For ease of understanding, you want what is called sunlight balanced lights. And that just means there it's the bright white light that you see. Those are like in the 4,500 to 5,000 Kelvin lights. Whenever you're buying them, they'll say that it'll be like daylight balanced. And generally they're sold in either, in all lights are sold in three categories for video production. They're sold in daylight balanced, they're sold in warm, which is that sort of the orangey color, or they're sold in what it's called adjustable. So they're either direct where it's adjustable, where it'll go just between those two, 3,000 and 5,000, or they're sold in a dial where you can change it entirely for every degree. The changing for every degree is overkill for most people. And even the bi-directional one where you can get either cool or warm lighting is overkill for most people. Just a daylight balanced light are going to be the least expensive and they're easy to match, right? So if you have a um, so like I have my window open here, I can open and close this window. The daylight is always going to be that 4,500 or so temperature, which means it's really easy to you open your windows if you want some background lighting and to add your lights to it and they'll all match. If you get lights that don't match the color, you'll turn green, essentially is what happens. And you don't want to be green. Now, I'm using warm light for my key lighting and I'm using mm -hmm. daylight for my background. Yeah, so yours is actually two different colors, which is... Now, I can switch it. You got a switchable one? Oh, look at that. He's I got do. a switchable one. And that's warm and warm, and you can see the difference in my face color because of it. So in an ideal world, all your lighting sources match unless you're intentionally going for some sort of color clash. Oh, that is so much better. Did you see that? 
Yeah. So much uh, better. So that's your other consideration is your light color. And then the third consideration is your light shape. And your light shape in, again, an ideal perfect world, you got the biggest damn light you can get. And it's circular because most people, when they see things lit well, they're lit by the sun, which is a big ass circular light. <laughs> so you see the real expensive studio lights, they're going to be like five feet long, big circular umbrellas that you have to have a huge amount of space for. When you see things that are lit like that, they look really good. That doesn't actually, again, that's that Hollywood production quality that we don't have to hit that level. We want to hit something close to it. So ideal world, you get a small round light, somewhere between like seven and maybe 15 inches. Mine again, is, mine's palm sized. Palm sized. Yeah, that works perfectly. So just off the top of your head, do you know why the shape of the light matters? Why I'm saying round rather than other color or other shapes? Well, I mean, you just said the sun. So my guess yeah. is that when people see the reflection of, and I'm just guessing, when people see the reflection of the light in your eyeballs, what they mm -hmm. expect to see is round. And if it's round, it makes sense to them. Yeah. So again, it's one of those things that most people aren't going to be able to tell you the difference, right? But if you take three different shots of yourself, one of them with, say, one of those ring lights that's got the circle donut thing, and you got the, it's called a catch light, by the way, in the photography world, the catch light in your eye, which is the reflection of the light in your eyeball, has that donate donut shape from the ring light, or has the rectangular shape from a square light, or it has the round shape. And all things being equal, you show an audience member three pictures of you and say, which one do you like better? 99 times out of 100, they're going to pick the one with the round catch lights. And again, 99 times out of 100, they won't be able to tell you why. Right? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not something that people are aware of unless they're aware of it. And so they don't so, know, but they know that they like that one better. Yeah, they know that they like that one better. And so it's easy enough to get round lights. Now, it's again, that's in that category of things that like, it's not a requirement, right? I'm using square lights in mind because of the studio space that I have, and I don't have the, uh, the round ones. So I actually, I'm going to pull this one down just so I can show it to you. I use really small lights because I have a really small space. And so they're small rectangular ones. These are called Loom Cube Pros or whatever. And again, because my requirement is easy and fast, more than high production quality, I'm going for good enough production quality that gets me the easy and fast, right? And that's what these do for me. So, so if I had the space me, for it... One... This one is round and it's the size of my palm up there. This one is square. The one behind me, my background, my backlighting. Yeah. So your backlighting's not shining on your eyes. You can do whatever shapes you want for that. Well, I want square. You want square. Well, there you go. You can have square. So that's your, basically your three considerations is the number of lights. If ideally you have three of them for three point lighting and the color, ideally they're all daylight balanced, real simple to buy. And then your shape, ideally they're round. And you can get nice round lights for shining on your face and then whatever other shapes you want for shining anywhere else. Those are the three big things. It's not super hard to set up, but if you set them up and you do it well, you can make a dramatic difference in how good the quality of your video looks. Yep. So that's it for lighting. Now, so. point, just like with microphones, do the thing that excites you. Number one, you are an N equals one experiment. So if I had followed your advice, Richard, now you and I have worked on my lighting, we've worked on my sound, we've worked on my cameras. So this is not in a vacuum, but if I had followed your advice purely, you all saw how washed out my face was when I used colored light bulbs that matched. So you are an equals one experiment, set up your little mini studio, take a look at how it looks. Does that excite you? Does that make you want to get in front of the camera? And if it doesn't make some changes. Yeah. And you'll find the, I tend to, I bought, I spent a little extra money to get the lights that I can change the color temperature on. 
instead of just having daylight balanced, it's easier to just do daylight balanced. But I get the ones that have the adjustable thing because I like to take it from daylight balanced and then just make it a little bit warmer because I'm very pale. And being pale means if I add a little bit of warmth to the light, I get a little bit more color in my face. Right, Lucas, you right. got sort of the same thing going on. If you go with just a straight daylight thing, our very white skin gives us, we wash out easily. So having a bit of a warmer light on your face makes you come alive a little bit more. So that is the reason why you might spend a couple extra bucks on getting maybe a light, you know, color adjustable lights. And to your point, if you look good and you sound good, you're more likely to record, which is the important reason why this is the, the number one. It's the number one rule is you got to good enough production quality that makes you want to sit down and record. Yep. So next is your camera is super easy. You didn't used to be easy, but over the last couple of years, it's gotten really easy. So if you have a modern smartphone, I got one right here. <laughs> yeah. You got a modern smartphone and by modern, I'm going to date this video for everyone. iPhone 12 or 13 or newer and galaxy S 22 or newer just about any of those. And I can't remember what the Google Pixel is right now. It's like the Pixel 2A or something. I don't know. I'm going to butcher that. Someone's going to comment on this later and be like, it's not the one that's out. Anyways, any of those, that sort of generation of cameras and newer are retardedly good. And what I mean by that is I have in my house right now over $10,000 professional video equipment. And it's something that I'm passionate about and love to do as a hobby. And I do travel videos and stuff with my kids and everything. And I've got all sorts of things from sliders and nice cameras and $2,000 lenses. Got the whole bit. I used to record my podcast with all of that stuff. And I used to encourage other people to set up a nice professional camera because the difference between the webcam that comes on your computer and a professional camera is astronomical. How much better it is. Now, True. over the last couple of years, is actually January of this year. I switched to the iPhone 13 Pro camera system and I started just experimenting with it. And I've been doing this for years. So since probably the iPhone 4, are any of the cameras good enough to actually replace a professional camera? Never been the case. And it's gotten to the point now where as someone who has and does professional video work, I have recorded and submitted video work to clients that they've paid for and been happy to pay for coming out of an iPhone. And because the camera systems are that good. And I have done side-by-side -side comparisons of just my own podcast studio with my $2,500 camera and lens setup and the camera that's built into my phone. And I can, as a professional, tell the difference. Like in a blind test, I can tell the difference between one or the other. But it's not something that, like my wife, who is, you know, she's got quite a bit of understanding of cameras because of her husband's proclivities, she can't tell the difference, Right. And most of your people who are not professional enough to know how to do the pixel peeping won't be able to tell the difference. You probably won't be able to tell the difference between hmm. an iPhone camera and whatnot. This is actually being recorded right now on the iPhone from my standpoint. I probably can't see it. Let me go. Let me do this thing. We can switch from video to the FaceTime camera. So like this is the actual camera that I'm holding. That's the laptop camera. And we can switch it back. So I'm actually recording this episode on my iPhone. And... The benefits to that are, one, you don't have to go out and spend extra money on a camera. Chances are, nowadays, you have a smartphone in your pocket, and it's probably good enough that you can use it. And the... Uh, thou shalt have good enough production. Yeah, thou, thou shalt have good enough production quality. And I am using, to the point of being super easy to set up and use, this is one of those little magnet mounts from the iPhone, and I literally just snap it on and it's ready to go. And over the past couple of years, I used to have to plug it in with a wire 
and you can download an app called but like Epoch Cam, there's a few of them that let you use your iPhone or your Android phone as a webcam. Cost a couple of bucks. I think I spent four bucks for an app. And then this year, Apple was like, that's a good idea. And they built into the OS. And now I can just select my iPhone from inside of Zoom or from inside of Zencaster where we're recording here. And it just wirelessly connects. There's no wires on my phone. I don't understand how they do it. It's magic. I don't care. It's easy. I just put it in there, get it ready to go. So my current recommendation for most people is to use the phone that you have. Now, The other part of that is some people, like yourself, Lucas, don't like using your phone to record. So what are your options? And my I am definitely one of those people. (laughs) One of my recommendations. It's not because I don't like the phone. It's because I want my setup, and you talked about this before. It's because I want my setup to be a hundred percent permanent. I don't want to have to do anything except press the record button. Yeah. And if you're in that boat, like I find it easy enough to use my phone, but if you want to have a permanent camera set up, any of the newer webcams, and by newer, I mean in the same sort of generation as the iPhone 13 plus newer ones, they've started and it's happened because of the pandemic. A lot of the webcam companies decided to step up their games a lot. I mean, instead of having the 720p cameras and whatnot and the 1080p cameras, they've started coming out with 4K cameras with gimbals and other things like that. There's a few of them. I'll put some links to them in our studio thing below. And they've all come out just in like the last six months or so where they've got some webcams that are USB plug-in webcams that have the 4K capabilities. They have wide enough. This is, again, the super geeky. They have wide enough apertures that you actually get some of that depth of field, the background blur from having a nice high quality camera lens in there. And they can be used professionally. Whereas, you know, even six months ago or a year ago, it was really difficult to get a webcam that you could use professionally. It's not the case anymore. Partially the fault of the pandemic. I don't complain about that. We got some good things out of the pandemic. (laughs) And so because everyone started working remotely, we started to have conversations about how do we make the video quality better? And there's a lot of companies that have stepped up and started putting out really high quality webcams. And the only problem with those is they tend to be in the three to $400 range. So it's going to up your like money you're going to put into your camera system, into your mini studio by buying an extra camera rather than what you have already sitting on your phone. So I don't have a problem with that. If you have the budget for it and you want to have a permanent setup, any of those new cameras are going to work really well for that. And that's my recommendation. Again, I used to recommend buying a $2,500 camera setup and a camera capture card and the whole bit to make it look super professional and actually had helped some clients set up studios that they love and still use. In all fairness... The camera quality that I'm holding in my hand right now, four years ago, was a $2,500 camera. Yeah. So it's a lot has changed very rapidly, which again is why I'm not going to give you a bunch of models right now, because they're probably going to be different in six months anyway. So we'll put the latest ones yeah. in the studio link. So that's it for cameras. And the last one is your backdrop. Well, and your I want to add to that. Go for it. So I record my podcast in three different places. I love my mini studio. Whenever I have the option, I record it here in my mini studio. And most of the content that you and I are going to shoot together is from my mini studio. However, anybody that watched the previous episode, the Hello World, the Welcome episode, is going to notice that I was in a nondescript room with a boring white background, not very good lighting, and a not very high quality camera. I recorded that episode on my lap. And I used the laptop mic, I used the laptop camera. And one of the three places that I record from, I only have access to my laptop mic, my laptop camera, and it is what it is. And look, when you get into a role and you're in the position where recording content is more important to you than production quality, some of the time, and you know, remember, thou shalt have good enough production quality, but some of the time you're just in that position where you're not in a good place. 
And here's where I'm going to go back to this amazing device that I hold in my hand. The people who are used to recording on their phone, which includes you, Richard, but does not include me, those people are going to reach for their phone first instead of their laptop first. And those people, unlike me, and I'm bashing myself a little bit here, those people are going to end up with a higher quality production because of the fact that they reach for this really high quality camera instead of their laptop. And in my case, my laptop is my go-to. So maybe I need to get into the habit of retraining myself when I'm recording my podcast in the other places. Yeah. Again, because we travel, I've done the same thing. I have a 250 episodes that I've recorded here for our podcast in this little bedroom here. But we've occasionally been in places where I have terrible internet and I have to leave here and take my recording equipment elsewhere. And I have recorded at the library. I've recorded on a bench at the beach because I could get internet at the beach, but I couldn't where my RV was parked. And so I've recorded in those couple of places. Yeah. And I've recorded podcast episodes from my phone because I'm used to doing that already. And you can get fairly decent quality on. Being used to using that equipment, it matters. Yeah, it matters. So last part is your backdrop. And again, your backdrop Again, this is one of those ideal world things, right? If you can have a nice backdrop that looks good and is easy to set up and put down, that's your best world. This you can make really it easy. <laughs> yeah, it's really easy. You just leave it there. If I had that, that'd be great. I say like, I'm like, literally, that's my bed, right? We're in the back bedroom in RV. There's my closet, our washer and dryer is in there and the bathroom's over there with all of our towels and whatnot. So legitimately, I have a backdrop hung up. It's actually there. It's not a virtual backdrop. And it is hung up with little S-clips on the ceiling. I leave the S-clips there all the time. And this backdrop is from Amazon. These ones I'm happy to give you a model for because they're not going anywhere. They're called Katie backdrops on Amazon. And they make them in lots of different sizes everywhere from five foot by five foot to all oh, the way up to these huge sheets. I just realized something. Because of what you have to do when you set up for your recording, lights, camera, action is exactly right for you. Yep. <laughs> lights, camera, action. Turn the lights on. Click on the camera and go. <laughs> yep, that's what I do. But yeah, these Katie backdrops are nice. They come in lots of different sizes and you can just get one measured that fits for whatever your camera like space is. Mine's seven feet wide, but they make them in like 10 feet wide and 15 feet wide and whatever you have to stick up behind you. And then they come in lots of different colors and shapes and everything. You can get solid white and green and you can get all the different solid colors. You can get patterns like this one. This is the American flag, obviously. This was my passive aggressive patriotism. That's what this is. I appreciate what our country lets us do. So this is my tribute to that. But I've got a wooden backdrop one. I got a friend of mine that has, it looks like a little miniature office that's behind her. It's hard to tell that it's a picture, but it's a picture. And it allows you to just set up a backdrop, super easy, that will cover up whatever is back there. So you don't have to worry about putting up something that's nice right? Or making it look fancy. To that end though, if you get your lighting right and you get your audio right, most people don't give a damn what's in your background as long as it's not detracting from your message, right? Mine is literally, yeah, mine's literally a bed that's not always made and covered sometimes in laundry and kids toys and other things. It would be distracting from my message. So I put a backdrop up and cover it over, right? And if I had to worry about cleaning my bed up and making it all nice and putting all the kids stuff away because of the tiny space we lived in, it would be a barrier to recording for me. So throwing up a background that just makes it real easy, right, is great. If you happen to have a space that you record in all the time and the backdrop just can stay in a nice situated area like yours is, that's even easier. You don't have to do anything, right? You don't have to set anything up. And you can just, you know, I notice you have probably some books that show off some of your, like your knowledge base and your connection to the Pokemon company behind you. Those are all great things. Yep. And There's nothing wrong with doing anything like that, but your backdrop should be something that is not distracting and it's easy. Those are the two things. 
it's easy for you to set up <laughs> or in your case, not set up, just stand in front of, and it's not distracting from your content, or your message. And that's really I all mean, there is to the backdrops. You know, I have to make sure the books are in order sometimes because I do actually use them from time to time. My wife comes in and plays with my Pokemon plushies. So I have to like put them back. Like, them back. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, you know, only from time to time for the most part, this stays set up. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. That's all there is to it. So the first commandment of podcasting is have good enough production quality that you earn the respect of the audience who's watching you, right? I guess to your point, you don't fuck it up and that it's easy to set up and use, right? Because more important than having Hollywood production quality is showing up and getting your content out. Yep. Excites you to press the record button. Yeah. And the easier it is, the more you'll do it. And the more you do it over the long term, the more you will build your authority in the space. And the more money you'll make. And the more money you'll make. <laughs> and that's that for episode number one of Push Button Podcasts and the first commandment of podcasting, which is thou shalt have good enough production quality. Join us in the next episode where we're going to talk about thou shalt be consistent and what that means. Thou shalt be consistent. Cheers. Thanks for joining us this week on pbp.fm. Make sure to visit our website, pbp.fm where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And if you'd like to get help building an omnipresent content marketing strategy with a podcast and you want help, you might want to book a podcast strategy session with us at pbp.fm. Just click the Book a Strategy Session button and book a time on our calendar. We look forward to speaking with you. And be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.